Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Peter and Ralph Weekly Chat. Um, there we go. Uh, I'm joined, as always, in the London studio by my friend and longtime equity analyst, Ralph Hebgen, for some super sharp insight into a few of the themes of the week just gone. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about four things. Uh, that's a bonus, because normally three things, right? So, um, so anyway, we're going to be talking about banking. We're going to be talking about Bitcoin. We're going to be talking about the latest Hindenburg research report on the payments company Block, which you might know as Square, because Block is kind of a 3D version of a Square, I guess. Uh, and then fourthly, we will then talk about TikTok. So let us, without further ado, talk about banking. Um, banking has been fairly eventful i think it i think we should say in the last week or so um it's not often we can say that um but um as most people will know there's been a tremendous amount of, of drama um with regard to uh, what's been going on with banking over in america um as you know particularly in the wake of the um silicon valley bank um, you know, failing, and then the resulting, you know, what happened after that, you had um, the, um, you, you know, you had all the, you had the banking industry, you had the three J's, you had Janet Yellen, um, Jay Powell, and, um, and uh, uh, Jamie Dimon, there you go, um, of, of, um, uh, of JP Morgan all getting together and uh, trying to, uh, you know, get together and, and, and help out other banks as well. It's all been very dramatic over there. Then, of course, we've had the drama over in Europe with Credit Suisse being um, taken over by UBS. Um, and there even now, uh, there's even now talk um, of uh, Deutsche Bank potentially um, being uh, looked at as a potential problem. So, all of those things have been have been going on. Um, I just obviously got to ask Ralph. You know, what is your take on it all? Oh God, yeah, that's a... <clears throat> sorry. That makes me cough. <laughs> yeah. uh, just having to think about all this. There are so many aspects of this. Um, the uh, least interesting of which, but the one which makes me smile maliciously when I think about what I'm going to say next is that it allows me to talk about IFRS 9. Ah, uh, oh, that's going to be awesome. uh, shockingly brilliant. Uh, well, I, yeah, I, yeah to, you know, I think anyone who's listening, anyone who's watching, obviously sit back, whack, yeah. up, whack up the dial to 11, pin your ears back and just listen to because here it comes. IFRS 9 goodness. And also... <laughs> Rest assured, it's going to get better. Awesome. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is the worst part of this yes. show. Anyway, IFRS, I don't, I, I've, I've used this uh, for so often in my analyst's career that I don't actually know what it stands for. It's something like International Financial Reporting Standard, I think yeah, it yes. is. Okay. Yes, and, um, and it is just simply, well, it's, it is what it says on the tin. It's basically what most companies use uh, in order to report their uh, financial data in balance sheet and P&L, etc., uh, to the extent that they have uh, in international business. Um, now, just as background, to, 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 to basically add some color, perhaps, to why the banking situation in, the, in, in America was so bad, I mean, SVB, 
is of course a bank whether it reports on the US GAAP or IFRS is sort of irrelevant but um, what IFRS forces banks to do is to mark their assets to market which means that you have to basically show what your assets are worth uh, every day certainly at the time when you report your assets so if you have an asset which is worth 100 uh, then, you know, if it's worth 70 at the time you're reporting, you, then you better show this at 70 and not at 100. <laughs> this is sort of obvious. But there are two major classes for assets. One is a class called AFS, which means available for sale. And it is these assets that you have to mark to market uh, for obvious reasons, because they are <laughs> available for sale and so uh, if you wish to sell them then you better know what they're worth at uh, the current time of of um, of selling them and there is a second category which is called htm which means held to maturity these are mostly bonds if i hold a bond or if i buy a bond for a price of 100 then if i hold this bond until it matures then i know that i will get back that hundred unless the uh, institution to which i lent my money is going to go bankrupt that will happen so i know exactly what the return is on this bond now the problem is if i put assets into the the category held to maturity which i do not have to mark my mark to market um then they will always show me a book value. So in other words, I mean, if I buy something at 100, which is a bond, I stuff it into the HTM uh, asset category because I'm pretty sure that I will be able to hold this, this to market, then it doesn't really matter to me whether in the meantime it goes down to 70 or 60 because I know that, the, that it will go back to par, meaning to 100, at the end of its maturity. So this is all good stuff, but the point I think I wish to make is that it appears to me as if there were some basic weaknesses here in risk control. And uh, people at uh, Silicon Valley Bank and other banks have put assets into the HTM category expecting that they will be able to hold them to maturity which they were not able to hold to maturity and they should have foreseen that because in an interest in an increasing interest rate environment all these assets are going to be underwater meaning they lose their value and if you show them at a book value which is above the value that they actually have uh, then you might actually be in trouble might is the operative word because you may not. You only are in trouble if confidence in your bank is failing and depositors are withdrawing their money because then if you do not have this money to give them, you have a liquidity issue. You then have to basically sell assets. If these assets are the ones which you hold in the hold to, uh, held to maturity, the unmarked uh, category, then you may still think they are worth 100, but when you look, they may be worth 70. And that is an issue. And so, I mean, basically, I'm not wanting to make this too simplistic. I'm not suggesting that every bank in America or in Europe has similar problems, but there are certainly 
issues which are contributing to the current weakness and to the current expectations of weaknesses or the suspicion that there might be weaknesses in the banking sector. Mm. Because the problem is that we've come out of a basically decade of 0% interest rates and we are transitioning into a high interest rate environment at a rapid an unprecedented pace driven by inflation, which in turn is driven by geopolitical issues. And that is, I think, catching some of the risk officers at these banks out. And that is one reason why we are seeing these bank failures. And this is also the reason why the markets are are sort of uncertain now whether um, the whether the issues of which this, which I mentioned is one, are not more widespread and are indeed, as some of the journalists claim, idiosyncratic, I think is the word which I have been seeing, idiosyncratic, um, isolated issues, which are just the consequence of, um, of isolated, poor risk controls. Mm. So that's one problem. Yeah. <laughs> just one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Good. Yeah. There's... there's... There, there, there are a few uh, problems <laughs> I think um, that, have been, that have been coming out. I mean, I do think that this whole, um, you know, this 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 whole crisis. I think I think this personally. I think this is. Oh, I've been the way I've been thinking about it is that this is different to the previous financial, yeah, the two thousand and eight financial crisis because um, back then it was a case of bad assets. Um, I mean, for anyone who who saw. Uh, uh, what was it? The big short. Um, the they big will remember short. the the uh, the Je- the Jenga tower mm-hmm. um, the, and the the exciting demonstration uh, that was that was carried out there. Um, you know that. So it was all based on rubbish. Um, you know assets, and I think that's the pro- that was the problem then. The problem now, I would argue, uh, depends really. Or it's not the bad assets. It's just that. Um, I think it's a lot of it was to do with the uh, perception of things going wrong and then depositors and then investors deciding to do the same thing at the same time. So, um, so for instance, you saw SVB, um, you know, they, they had a shortfall in their, in their, the bond portfolio. Um, that meant that they had to sell a load of assets um, depositors saw that, thought, oh, you know, that's not good. That must mean that things are going wrong. I know what, I'm going to take my money out. So they then all take their money out at the same time. And then the investors see that and think, why is everyone taking their money out at the same time? We need to sell the shares because clearly something's wrong. So, you know, there it just really spiraled um, out of control. And I think that one of the things that um, we've seen this time round, which I think is different to what we saw we saw in 2008, is that actually politicians, central bankers and the entire industry have all acted actually extremely quickly. Um, and I think that that is another that is a, a key difference that we've seen for then versus now. Um, but what, what do you think about that, Ralph? Well, well in, indeed. I mean, it's, it's always difficult to compare these crises. I think um, I've heard a nice adage uh, applied to history in general once, and it says history doesn't teach, but it certainly does rhyme. Mm. 
by which, of course, one means that, okay, it's never the same, but it kind of looks very similar at times. And, uh, and it may not be the same crisis, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we cannot actually get another banking crisis of more wide-ranging proportion. Again, for different reasons, perhaps, because sometimes when I see the the, um, the press commentaries, they say things like, well, this uh, 2008 was a systemic crisis, whereas this one is, as I just said, perhaps isolated to a few bad players. But then, of course, it does depend how you... Ex- you know what you interpret systemic to mean and and what i just said i mean if if we are in a situation where lots of risk officers as banks have not perhaps implemented um, prudent risk control then well <laughs> the prices crisis could could easily become systemic again for different reasons like i said the, the crisis rhyme they're not the same they don't repeat mm. themselves However, um, to your point, yes, I think one tangible difference, and that is not something which we need to think about or interpret, that's reality. One tangible difference is indeed the reaction of regulators, swift and, and, and forceful. I mean, what I've seen in Switzerland over the last weekend has really impressed me uh, when it was got to it got to the end of Friday and everything was up in the air of what might happen to CSFB. As we got to the end of Sunday, uh, FINMA, which is the Swiss financial regulator, had basically brokered a shotgun wedding between UBS and CSFB, which is astonishing. If you look at the complexity of this merger, um, to actually get this done within two days is quite astonishing. So that's point number one. The second thing is that UBS shareholders would normally have to be, there's a consultation period which which uh, starts uh, after a merger, which runs for six weeks and UBS shareholders would have to actually say yay or nay, have, you know, con- confirm whether they actually like this merger or not. The Swiss government has changed or is going to change the law which means that it this consultation period can be circumvented. So two two things fall on from there. Yes, it was swift and forceful, but also the magnitude of the crisis, which was, let's say, let's use the word prevented before we move on and examine what might follow. The crisis which was prevented is of gargantuan magnitude. But if you get the Swiss regulator, which is probably the most conservative regulator in the world, to um, move as fast as we have seen, and the Swiss government to change a law, then you know what was at stake. Mm. Uh, if I now move on to Deutsche Bank, well, I don't really know what's happening there. I haven't analyzed the um, mm. the balance sheet, nor do I believe that I would have anything interesting to say. I was an insurance analyst, of course, not a banking analyst. Mm-hmm. But uh, but whether there is any credibility to this or not, it does show that the markets are very uncertain, very skeptical, and very, very afraid of another more wide-ranging problem to emerge. Mm. Uh, the fact that Deutsche Bank share prices, I think, created today by 8%, 
is one indication of that. But we have another indication that happened earlier this week when the Fed in America um, changed one planned interest rate hike to a lower interest rate hike and has basically said that we, we might defer other hikes which we which we still think are necessary. Uh, the Dow Jones sold off 2.5% after this announcement because markets were just interpreting that as an implicit admission that the US financial system might be under strain and could not withstand another swift interest rate in, in, increase. And, 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 and yeah, I mean, there we are. That, that's the issue. I don't know to which extent the current share price reaction, the current weakness in the banking, um, in, in, in the banking indices is in fact reflective of an actual problem and mm. actual contagion or whether it does just reflect that investors are currently skeptical and mm. are going to hedge their bets until hopefully we'll, we'll see that the banking system in Europe is as safe as the ECB uh, mm. was uh, hurt, hurt to, to confirm. Mm. Yeah, no, I think it's, um, uh, it, you know, it, 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 all this stuff is is pr is pretty interesting. I mean, I think that the uh, you know the, the Deutsche Bank thing. I mean, obviously Deutsche Bank have been in a lot of trouble for you know they've had all sorts of troubles in the last few years. Um, I mean, I I think that it's it's a classic thing. This isn't it? it you know, the everyone's thinking about. You know, they're not convinced by the actions so far that have been taken, despite them being, um, you know, swift and strong. Um, but, you know, it is only natural to think who's next, who's next, if mm. you're not completely, you know, if you're if you're not completely um, convinced. So that's why I think it's all rolling down um, to, um, you know, to, to, to Deutsche Bank. Um, I think you said something um I thought you know you you you've been saying some very interesting um things about you know when we were talking earlier um we were talking about how um the ECB last mm. week they yes. changed their interest so they increased their interest rates by 0.5% and I remember saying at that point um to on on various calls and things that it would indicate to me that uh, the ECB um, put up their interest rate, despite the fact they were in the middle of this financial drama, um, you know, implying, uh, doing that to imply, well, look, everything's fine, nothing mm -hmm. to see here. That's why we're putting it up by 0.5%. Yes. Um, but yeah, you said something very Yeah, definitely. Uh, when, when they did that, I interpreted that to be a direct and deliberate message that the European banking system is seen to be sound and therefore able to deal with and absorb another interest rate hike. Mm. The ECB basically said in a it was more than just a subliminal message. I mean they basically said we are going ahead with interest rate increases as planned uh, because we do not have to worry about any adverse repercussions on the European banking system. Yeah. And that was a direct 
um, well, it was exactly the opposite of what the Fed did. Mm. And interestingly, as I said, just said, the Fed, the Fed's um, decision to lighten their monetary tightening was seen by the markets as an implicit admission that the U.S. banking system might be frail. Mm. Uh, the the confident stance which the ECB took was seen by the markets as a confirmation that the European banking system is robust. Uh, but unfortunately, that hasn't lasted for very long mm. because now we, we, we're seeing the skepticism about Deutsche Bank uh, e emerging, despite the fact that Deutsche Bank is a much healthier company than CSFB used to be. Uh, Deutsche Bank, I think, reported something like 10 consecutive quarters of profits and has a much stronger balance sheet, whereas CSFB's last annual profit, I think, well, it was a loss. It was a gargantian loss. I can't remember exactly what the number was, but it sort of was worth like 10 years of previously profitable years. So it's almost like one year of losses wiped out a decade of, of accumulated profits. But of course, I know, of course, that profits are not cash. And equally, it Equally, um, solvency ratios don't equate to liquidity. I mean, these things are all slightly, not slightly, these things are all materially different. And uh, we, we, we just have to see what transpires. I do not believe by looking at the commentary in the press and the uh, announcements coming from the banking sector in Germany, that the crisis, sorry, that the situation there is seen to be parallel to what we have witnessed in Switzerland last weekend. Um, but we just have to see to what kind of news flow we are going to wake up, well, on mm. Monday or what yeah. might be emerging over the weekend. I know. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, really? I mean, what we're talking here, it's now, you know, it is Friday. <laughs> I'm going to try and get this out as soon as I can. So hopefully I get it out today. Um, but, you know, the situation is so incredibly fluid. Um, mm -hmm. And... And it's such a serious situation that it really can change over the weekend. I mean, I'd say normally stuff tends not to happen on the weekend. So you can have a bit of a breather, but um, not not at the moment. Um, you know, it, it's all too serious. But anyway, let's move on um, from banking. And just to have a quick ch talk about Bitcoin, because, I mean, I'm just looking. Let's have a quick look now. I mean, Bitcoin um about yeah around the 28 the 28000 mark when you consider you know well why why is that i mean you know i was looking at it earlier on this week and and um there was some explanations saying that you know it's some crypto billionaire crypto bros buying in you know this is something that was written in a newspaper i forgot which one it was but this sounded like some sort of BS um, explanation that I used to get fobbed off with um, initially <laughs> when I was a very innocent um, stockbroker. Because I remember at the time what would happen is, you know, I'd be, I'd be, you know, sitting there broking away like a machine. Um, and then a client would say something like, oh, I've got such and such in my portfolio. I've just seen it's gone down 2% in the last half hour. Why is that? And so then I would dutifully, you know, say, okay, I'll get back to you on that. 
I then go to the traders and then the traders, I think I wrote down, where did, did I write them down? Yeah. So the traders would, um, there's a number of stock answers that you would get if they didn't know. Um, one is, so you go, so you imagine you're going up there, keen as mustard, right? You say, going up there, hey, hey, so um, such and such went down to, uh, 2% just, uh, you know, in the last half hour. Do you know why that is? Here are some answers. Number one is our short covering. Number two, more buyers than sellers. Um, and then number three, uh, a buyer. Oh, yeah, there's a buyer in size at, um, you know, Hong Kong or something, whatever. Insert, um, you know, exotic market here, that sort of thing. Right. And then and then you would I'd go, OK, um, OK, you know, and then and then walk back. Initially, I would believe that. And then I would tell I would say that to the, the client. But then afterwards, I, I would be saying, hold on a minute. <laughs> hold on right there. What's the real answer? Do you actually know? <laughs> and, and then they would say, well, not exactly, not exactly sure, but, you know. And so, so anyway, this kind of explanation as to why Bitcoin has gone up is just, yeah. you know, not uh, neither uh, here nor there. Short covering. Short covering is absolutely the best yeah. answer ever. Yeah, well, it you, sounds usually, good, it? Yeah, you sounds usually good. offered in, in the morning. Yeah. Not so much during the day, because yeah. in the morning, what happens is that there is something like the gray market, uh, mm -hmm. which, which you can sort of perceive. And, and, yeah. and, and of course, everybody is then uh, trying to offload any, any positions which go against them if you are shorting the stock. But of course, also, and miraculously, this is all very difficult to prove. And yes, this is, exactly. of course, what lies, what lies behind yes. this statement. You are a short covering, mate. Oh, mm, yeah, cool. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Excellent. And, and the funny thing is, I mean, some clients would also also, of course, be unable to prove it either way. And so everybody goes away with a non-answer, which everybody oh, okay. believes in. <laughs> Actually, this is getting me to an interesting point. A non-answer, which everybody believes in, and believing in it makes it sort of true to, to an extent. Yeah. you know. And this, I think, is also the reason why crypto Bitcoin, in this particular case, has gone up 70% this year. It's the mm. same reason. I mean, it's just really odd. If you look at this, I mean, currently we have equity market weakness after actually a, um, a, a very strong rally in into the year. And... And and this weakness means that people are rotating out of equity markets. What that means is basically people are selling equity market assets, equity investments, and they have to put their money else somewhere else. And that normally goes into bonds, which has happened this time. And it also goes into something which people call a safe haven assets. Mm, mm. And there is one safe haven assets, which everybody, again, is sort of nodding away when, when I say this, or just put your money into gold. Exactly. You see, you see, you see? No, no, just, see yeah. it, it happens every time. Just de demonstrate that. Yeah. It happens every time. Let's put your money into gold. <laughs> gold. Yeah, I can do this all day. I can't, I can't do that all the time. Anyway, yeah. Okay. So yeah. let's put our money into a precious metal. Yeah. So anyway, but so we all know that this works. We all know gold is an asset. It has some value. But if you step away from it, you actually ask yourself, why do we think this? Well, there's absolutely no reason why gold, why, why gold should have any value. It has mm. no intrinsic value. You can't use it for anything. 
and it doesn't pay you a dividend. It's just mm. a it's just a, a block of uh, metal. It's nice. It looks nice. It's yellow. It's shiny. That's why there is demand for it. So what I'm getting at is, gold has value because there's demand for it. Mm. And I know that sounds completely circuitous, but it is circuitous. But it still works. Mm. And so I'm leading up to something here, of course. So I do wonder whether in the current environment, crypto is seen as something similar. People might think, ooh, the financial system is under strain again. So why don't we put our money into something which is unregulated and might be an alternative to this financial system? Perhaps people don't really ask, well, how exactly is it going to be an alternative then? And how exactly does cryptocurrency represent a store of value and how exactly would that even work but if people just perceive it to be it might well be that at least now that was the impulse for bitcoin to go up but i'm mm. clutching at straws it's all very psychological and woo woo but sometimes you do get this psychological trading into an asset for no other reason that uh, for no other reason but perception yeah Oh, absolutely it is very strange very strange um <laughs> but uh yeah you know especially when you've got things like you know ftx you've got other uh you know digital currency brokers uh not you know brokers and banks and lenders and stuff going out of business or being investigated you've got you know coinbase problems binance problems and yet you st- this still goes on so i don't know i mean um yeah being i no idea is i well, 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 it, it really but but it it seems to be completely weird i mean if 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 there is skepticism in the financial system driven by um a perception that some of the banks might be weak and that leads to another asset being bid up mm. because of a perception that it might be an alternative, then I mean we're, we're sort of getting into in, 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 into real psychology land, and, mm. and and I don't think that is going to be sustainable. I think there is a more mm. realistic problem in the banking world, which mm. is probably not going to be enough to warrant the current weaknesses, mm. and uh, conversely or equally, the strength of um, of cryptocurrency from time to time. Or, or its weakness mm. is unexplainable to me, to mm. be honest. Mind you, it's like I, I've always thought of, of um, uh, well, not always, because I, I was very naive initially, but uh, I've, I've long thought that it's not important to be right in investments. It's important to spot the trend just before it happens. And I think that... Um, you know, there are many instances over my career where I've seen analysts to be proven right, but it takes a while to get there. Oh, I see. And, what in, you mean. and in the meantime, everyone's made a load of money and gone out. So, yeah. you know, this is the thing is that, you know, yes, I mean, ideally, it would be nice to be right, but not only you are you right, but everyone sees you perceives you to be right whereas you can be wrong but if everyone thinks that you're right they will follow you 
and then you can get out, <laughs> you know, and, and you've made a load of money and then they realize that actually, you know, it wasn't that great. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I've, I've long thought that it's the, it's, it's not being right that counts. It's being able to read the, read the room that counts um and act on it i think um although you know there's a lot i'm sure you know there is satisfaction in being right but the problem is if you're right and you don't get proved right for a couple of years then yeah. you know that feeling fades somehow well, it depends what being right means i mean mm. if, if if it means that you have to um give actionable investment advice then being right means that you have to be sort of market timing it a mm. little bit as well. I mean, mm. not to the day, that's a trader's job, not to the month perhaps, but you, you want to be sort of, you know, not saying crop. like, for example, oh, there's going to be credit crunch. Mm. <laughs> and then five years later, you have a credit crunch. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then you're yeah. like, ah, I told yeah, you yeah, so, yeah, you know. Yeah. That's <laughs> the time where everyone is that's like, the... what? You're yeah. What yeah. are you talking about? Yeah. That was five years ago, mate. Yeah. And so basically, yeah. that's yeah. a bit extreme. But then, of course, oh... <laughs> I, <laughs> but... knew <it. laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I you know. Yeah. Cool. And, and you're probably the only person who still remembers that you said yeah. it because yeah. everybody else's memory isn't going to span to five years previously. No. And, uh, They're but, just yeah. going to do this, aren't they? But, <laughs> or, or this one, <laughs> yeah. 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 which was yeah. like, yeah. What, what your mother works at McDonald's. I think. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is probably not woke. It probably has to be edited out. No, no, yeah. Here, here yes, you go. There you go yeah. I'm going to be anyway. deplatformed. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, uh, anyway, I mean, I, it, perception is, you know, it's very important. And that brings us on to the next, uh, the next um, subject. Now, um, what's that? The subject of a research report uh, oh, cool. by um, Hindenburg Research. Now, just so just to recap on that, Hinden, Hindenburg Research um, basically puts out research. It's I, I believe it's a hedge fund, but it's a it's um, it puts out research. It does um, forensic research into mm -hmm. into companies and it, and does an extremely deep dive into their financials how they work etc and um it has had a very interesting and high profile track record and it just published a story um on a company called block uh block it used to be known as square and um, prior to that, it was known as no, it wasn't. No, I'm going to go through a load of shapes and stuff there. But no, line that would be too. That would be too. Yeah, line and then dot. Uh, but no, um, no, it, you know, it's called block. It was called Square. Um, Square was founded by uh, uh, Jack Dorsey, who also founded um, Twitter. Um, and he, yeah. So um, this. So anyway. So uh, the the idea here is that it says that Block has um, wildly overstated or, you know, very overstated um, user that, you know, the number of users and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and the other thing as well, it says that it has facilitated um, the uh, payments for criminal activities and things like that. Now, it says that it has been investigating 
um, uh, block for two years. Um, so it will be interesting to see what the uh, what the real defence is going to be here because they've already done the knee jerk. No, they don't know what they're talking about. They've got their facts wrong. Clearly, this is bad. We're going to our lawyers. You're lying. Um, but that's what happens every time Hindenburg um, does a, a research report. And just to say, you know, in the past, it it's um, had the... It, it, it's it put out the report on Nikola. Nikola is the uh, electric truck company named after the, um, the the scientist Nikola Tesla. Tesla name apparently was taken, so obviously they decided to call themselves Nikola. Um, and anyway, the, just to recap on that one, what happened there was it was um, you know they had a very colourful CEO who was very boastful, very kind of in your face. Um, boasting about how great um uh, how great nikola was how they they had fantastic proprietary technology blah 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 anyway according to the what came out from the hindenburg um research report was that on one of the market and uh, some of the marketing materials um they had a truck that appeared to be going along a road but it was powered <laughs> by their engine but in fact it wasn't you know apparently on the actual shoot itself the engine didn't work so what they did is they put this um a lorry on a on a slope i mean really does sound like the sort of thing you'd make up but it is not it is true they put it they put the lorry on a slope they filmed it going along and then when they edited it they actually flattened out the, the slope so it looked like the truck was just going along um then they you open up the engine and then you look at the parts they took look at the parts and there's parts from different manufacturers so it is not proprietary technology this caused all sorts of uproar. It it made test uh, it made not Tesla. It made Nikola go from hero to zero very very quickly. Um, you know the CEO had to resign. All all sorts of problems. Most recently, Hindenburg Research published a report on the Adani Group, which is a big Indian conglomerate. That's caused all sorts of problems in India, um, and it's actually been got so bad um, that um, you know some have touted. Well, in the Adani group, they have touted it as being this is an, a, a typical American attack on a on a good Indian company, um, and they and they're turning it into a battle of U.S. versus India, mm-hmm. not Hindenburg Research writing a report that was pretty close to the bone. Um, so the repercussions of that are still continuing. So this is the latest one. This um, apparently, I, I was talking, actually, um, for those who are listening to the podcast this week, um, I was talking to Agatha before we got onto the, the podcast. Um, and she was saying that, you know, if you follow Hindenburg Research on, on Twitter, they, um, they said something along the lines of the next big one's coming. And so, suddenly you've got thousands of people trying to guess who this company is um probably plugging their own you know portfolios and things as well but yeah i mean it's just really amazing i mean i i have to say i mean you know they don't sponsor me or anything like that but i just think working for them must be absolutely fascinating and liberating because the 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 research reports that i see from there are unlike any reports i've ever seen you know they are very direct they're not afraid to say what what they what they feel 
Um, and the re- reason for that is there's no, they don't need to impress anyone. They don't need, they don't need anyone because, um, you know, by and large, you know, when you're reading a, an investment bank, you know, a, a research report from investment banking, no matter what the actual um, analyst themselves thinks, even if they have a very strong view, it may be that they are told to tone it down because this may be a a, a company client or a future company client or something like that. So it's usually it's kind of, you know, wound in a bit, whereas Hindenburg doesn't need any of that because what they've done is they've done the investigation, they've shorted the shares, and then they publish the research report saying um, it's an absolute disaster. And by the way, we have already shorted the stock. So <laughs> it's really interesting um, and a very unique um, way of doing things. But yes, mm. what do you think about that? Well, I I I, <laughs> I, I must say Hindenburg. Uh, but by the way, I can pronounce this uh, without an accent. Isn't that great? It is Hind- good. Hindenburg. Yeah, just listen. Hindenburg. To it. Yeah. Oh, you you garbled it. Oh, well, that was terrible. <laughs> Thank you. No, it, it sounds exactly the same. But anyway, yeah. there we are. It used to be a Zeppelin, which also gives me the opportunity to use the word Zeppelin, which is cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. It's a word we should all use more often. I think so. And it's quite value-added, my commentary here. Well, famously, it went down when it uh, exploded in National Socialist Germany. So... It's pretty cool to actually call your company Hindenburg Research yeah, yeah. in a sort of self-deprecating way. But I don't have much to add. I mean, that that, that was an excellent uh, expose of how they work. I mean, the only thing which I would like to add is um, I think that they are, as you said, a hedge fund. And they're trading for themselves and they do this research for themselves. And then they, I believe, issue these reports after they trade it. Mm-hmm. So th- this is not, I believe, a broker who no. makes money from sending these research reports to clients as mm-hmm. actionable advice because they wouldn't be able to do that. I mean, just as a case yeah. in point, guys, I'm going to read out to you what they called their report on Nicola. And mm-hmm. it says here, inverted commas, uh, uh, I, I mean, a quote, Nicola, how to parlay an ocean of lies into a partnership with the largest auto OEM in America, unquote. Now, I can tell you, I could never have written something like this. I would have been axed on the spot. Mm. And the reason is not so much even that I might actually make a potential uh, corporate partner, corporate client unhappy. It's more that I cannot... Well, I'm now retired, but an, a working equity analyst cannot be seen to um, to put out statements in into the marketplace, which may just not be true. I mean, to call something a lie, a, a lie is a very clear intentional statement to say something which isn't true. And, mm-hmm. and, and they, of course, can do this because they don't really have um, have have the same benchmark to uh, to answer to as a mm. 
as an equity analyst employed as a broker house. The upshot is that the reports are, of course, a joy to read. Yeah. And and I think the reason that they are report uh, that they are publishing these at all is uh, public public relations advertising. Mm. That's mm. also why they're doing it on Twitter because mm. they're trading for this on their own account. The fact mm. that they are reporting, uh, sorry, they are, they are publishing these reports doesn't in themselves do anything for them. It's not mm. revenue generating, or at least that is what I believe the business model is like. Anyway, yeah. yes, yeah. I mean it's it's good. And by the way, you know, if if you like this kind of thing, I absolutely recommend. You know, anyone can just you can get on their email list. Uh, I put myself on the email list. And um, it's great because you, know, you get it. You pings into your inbox. You think, oh, dear, what's <laughs> going to happen now? You know, and you see that. I mean, the thing the thing is, is that, you know, the, the more they do this and the more they manage to burnish their reputation, um, the more dangerous it will, is going to become if they're ever wrong. You know, but, yeah, uh, as quite, things, hmm. you know, as things ha- as as it is, I mean, obviously, this latest one investigation for two years, you know, they really do seem to do their homework properly um, and their story does seem to be water, you know, is watertight. So, um, but yes, I'm, I'm sure that there will be, it will be a real, this is going to be a real problem um, in the future. But anyway, it's really great now. It's very interesting block. We don't know what's going to happen there. Um, it'd be interesting to see what the defense is like. Um, share price went down 22% initially on the news closed down 14 percent uh i'll just have a quick look here just to see if anything can i see anything on the wall street journal um not quite hold on uh yeah i don't i can't i can't see anything at this moment in time no i can't i can't see anything nothing nothing particularly to see here uh no okay no fine no that's okay yeah i've not heard i've not heard anything uh i've not heard anything uh but anyway yeah so we'll see what happens there um okay so let's uh final thing um let's just talk about uh tiktok um it's looking increasingly likely that there will be a tiktok ban um this you know they've even been desperate enough to get a whole load of tiktokers you know uh you know big influencers um uh, to say oh please don't do that and they're they're talking about you know uh how this is freedom of speech and stuff well clearly it's about their livelihood let's face it that's why they're protesting because it's their livelihood um but anyway um it is in, it's it's uh at the moment the whole thing is all surrounding the fact that the u.s government uh has been one of the governments around the world that's banned um tick the use of tiktok on on you know government issued phones um they are arguing that uh that it's that um there's a security issue um there could be data breaches we've seen that actually there was an ad- admission um by the head of tiktok uh that um that yes engineers at ByteDance, which is the parent company you know, chinese engineers do have access to the data and the implication there is although they deny this is that the government could feasibly come along and say hey can we have a look at your data or we would like to put something out if that's okay with you um so at the moment i mean i personally think that if it really is if that is the reason they're looking at it i don't think that an american company 
buying TikTok, which is what the US is trying to push forward. I don't think that's going to work at all. Um, we've also, what was interesting about this is that China got involved and said, we do not agree with a forced sale of TikTok. Now that to me says that that, that, that's almost like admitting that there is a, um, in fact, a, you know, security problem. Um, the fact that they're essentially fighting the corner of a company that they hate. I mean, the, the administration hate it. They hate ByteDance. They hate TikTok because they, it doesn't conform to the whole, com, you know, values of common prosperity that uh, Xi Jinping is talking about. So the fact that they've actually popped up with this is quite amazing. Um, and it would also suggest um, that this is less about the US versus TikTok, mm-hmm. but more about the US versus China. Yes. So what, what do you make of that, Ralph? No, no, entirely. I mean, so, so much stuff currently uh, is politicized, or maybe that's not quite the right word, has a political component to it. And I think this is one where where this is happening again. And mm. uh, <laughs> you made a good point because China isn't exactly in bed with TikTok in mm. terms of its philosophy. But I mm. think that it is still... Um, using it to proliferate a China-friendly message at times. It's not very obvious if you use TikTok how this works, but there are certain uh, influencers who are being pushed up um, in in, in, in proliferance on on the TikTok platform Mm -hmm. who would actually, well, let's put it cautiously, at at least uh, have a message which isn't uh, openly uh, criticizing. China. Mm-hmm. And so but but I think that's not quite the the reason the reason is that China doesn't want to be seen uh the, the Chinese government does not want to um be seen as allowing the US to broker a uh, sale of a Chinese domiciled company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that has a political component at a time where China is clearly not even attempting to position, but is clearly positioning itself mm-hmm. as the leader of a newly consolidated autocratic bloc. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about this now, but just one comment. It is clear to me that China is using the Ukraine war to consolidate its influence there. Uh, it is obvious what it's doing with Russia, which is now a client, well, junior partner, people say, client state might also be a word which one might use. It's brokering a rapprochement be- between Iran and Saudi Arabia, which is pretty much unheard of. Uh, and so it's establishing itself, I think, as the leader of a newly consolidated autocratic bloc, just as much as the U.S. has been the leader of the free world for the well, since the Second World War, basically. And mm-hmm. in this framework, I think we can slot this particular bit as well, because that is what China does does not want to do. It does not want to be seen as, as, as weak in this particular contest. Looking at the side of the US, however, now banning 
I mean, we we discussed this on on the show last week, and I was sort of perhaps flippantly saying I would find this amusing. I wouldn't really find this amusing very much. I mean, it would send some sort of message from the US to China, but I'm now wondering whether it would be as strong a message as I interpreted it to be last time we talked about it. Because to some extent, if you ban something, then it is also an implicit admission that you are unable to deal with any influences that you might see as negative in a different way. And it is a, it's, it's a very blunt instrument to, uh, to do something. So we'll, we'll just have to see where, where, this, where, 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 this, where this is going to end. But mm. I, I, I believe you're right. This is, this is beginning to become a political struggle rather than one of uh, conflicting enterprise visions let's say yeah i mean i think that the the other thing as well is that um with uh i don't think this is a case of uh chinese bad america good at no. all um because actually i think that it could well be that america's even worse you know because when you think <laughs> about um when you think about you know tiktok's not been around that long um, but um, Facebook has been around for a long time. I mean, I think I've been on Facebook probably for about 15 years or something like that, you know, and when you think about all the things that they know, like the where you've been, um, you know, st- important stages of your life, uh, you, know, mar- you know, marriages and, or uh, you know, and, um, uh, you know, kids and stuff like that, actually – Surely, if they put together all the di- all the uh, data that they have on on you there and from Instagram as well, they can build up an extremely uh, comprehensive picture. Well, um, and they have done in like. the past. I mean, we we know yeah. there was a scandal, wasn't there? Yeah, uh, yeah. But I, but I just sort of think that you know this is it's this is right. We need to get the regulation right. I think yes, uh, we need to make sure that people's data is protected properly. Yeah. Um, and it is important now more than ever, um, as more and more people put more of their lives online, that I think that um, this this absolutely needs to be addressed. Well, and um, I think this is where we're going. I mean, we're, we're basically seeing a development of regulation. Regulation is always going to come after business development. I mean, th- this is not even criticism. It can't be the, the other way around. And mm. we have seen at least a decade of uh, big data accumulation by the new tech companies. And I think where we are now going is that the regulator is sort of feeding their way through this as well and mm. is now beginning to understand how and why uh, these kind of big database companies need to be regulated. And this mm. is not necessarily a uh, the coincidence, perhaps, for that to happen coinciding with the bursting on the scene of more and more capable AI programs. We talked about chat GPT, which is now um, GPT-4. And uh, of course, that's a different thing, but it is certainly all playing into the um, availability of data manipulation, not just in the hands of companies, but also in the hands of actually individuals. I can use Facebook to design a marketing campaign for for my book, for example, mm-hmm. which is using quite subtly uh, data which people put online um, yeah. 
you, you know, voluntarily. For for example, Sorry, just, just out of interest, Ralph. Yeah. Um, what's the title of the book, and where can you buy it from, and how much did it cost? Oh yes, well, good. Uh, this wasn't planned. By the way, I've gone dark here. You have <laughs> gone dark. I was just wondering if there's some sort of mood lighting going on there. No, it's not. It's because London is uh, unfortunately it's quite rainy here, which is okay, clearly okay. not the case in the in the provinces. Okay, that, the sun the, the sun always shines in Guildford. Right? Oh but yes, that, baby, <laughs> the sun always shines where you are. Yeah. That's just so the lovely. The sun always shines in Guildford. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. Uh, we. <laughs> clearly drawing to a close so let me get this in happiness rules it's a very good book it's written by mark hepwood which is me um and you can buy That's it on pen amazon name. Pen name. Right, pen don't name. interrupt this most important message okay. um please uh, yeah. so where yeah. is it where can you buy it on amazon and you can buy yes. it on the kindle and it will make you happy and it will tell you exactly how to live your life and it's going to make me rich <clears throat> sorry I didn't, that has nothing to do with it <laughs> no of course not of course good not. business model anyway yeah. so yes where was i uh, uh, I think I stopped. Yeah. So anyway, I think that um, we're gonna, we will we might as well stop it there. But I do think that this it's been a tremendous week in terms of just so much going on, um, and you know <laughs> where <laughs> what is going to happen next week? I really don't know. Um, so anyway, what will happen though is that we will be there for you. We and will. We will be there we for will you. Be there. <laughs> I may have you. I may have needed to sell my furniture but okay. if, if we get a market meltdown. Yeah, uh, well. But, oh yes, I'm. I'm going to sit on the soapbox. That's just yeah. going to be apt. Nice, nice. Um, but anyway, so there we All go. Right. I guess we better uh, bring this to an end. Thank you very much indeed for your insights. It's been a tr- you know uh, fascinating as always. Um, thank you very much for listening. If you've listened this far, well done. If you've watched <laughs> yes. this far, even more well done. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Uh, we'll be back again uh, next next time. Many thanks. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.